Here at Madcap, we value innovation and creativity. Our bottom line is to educate and entertain. We'll be doing a mini-series called Madcap Storytime. My name is Andy Duke and you may hear my voice throughout. No promises. The stories are from a collection called Sentenced to a Broken Heart. This particular one is called Like Strawberry Blonde. It will be recited by Daphne Pellegrino and was written by David Ross. The writer of these words would have preferred to read them himself, but couldn't do so without getting choked up at almost every sentence. So I, Andy Duke, will be filling in from the UK. Here it goes as follows. I didn't want to write this. I did it because I had to. For something to hold my hand through pain and mental anguish. Words are all I have. So, please, as you read the following stories, please know that they weren't written out of joy. I'm happy to write again, but not like this. I wrote because I hurt someone I loved. The first person I loved. And I did this because she wasn't who I wanted her to be. And that's not her fault. And the consequences of my actions have impaled me. I'm no longer the same person, which is likely a good thing. The following stories are varied. Some are funny. Some are dark. But please know that the circumstances behind this are not a fucking laughing matter. Comedy is often how I cope with the world and harshness it can do to an individual. At the least, let these stories be an education about the importance of art in some people's lives and also one man's slip into darkness. OK, let's do this. May I have some music, please? Bring on the tunes. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to listen to is an experiment in sound. Oh, it's been such a long, long time. Look like I get you off of my mind. But I can't. Just the thought of you. Turns my whole world misty blue Why does a siren have to be a siren? Diana asked Manny. Let me rephrase that. Why couldn't that sound represent something pleasant, like a kid celebrating a birthday, a struggling student gets an A on a test, or a pimply-faced nerd gets late? Manny leaned up from the light finger-touching he was engaged in with Diana because he didn't quite get what she meant. The room was dark, but not unpleasantly dark. There was a piece in it, created by the two of them, perhaps, or just the product of expensive metropolitan lighting. It was a little past midnight. White wine sparkled in the two glasses in the room, one on the floor, which made Manny nervous, and another on his nightstand. You could see the reflection of the ceiling fan in the glasses. Outside, sounds of cars wishing by in directions unknown, only estimated. It was just a regular Tuesday night in a populated city. Clothes were piled on the end of the bed. Each night Diana slept over, she kicked them off the bed, and every morning she left, he piled them back on. 
I don't know who predicts what sound effects belong to which emotion. You don't? She jokingly responded. I thought this was your wheelhouse. He grabbed the wine glass, took a swig, swished it in his mouth, and let out the sigh. It was unnecessary. It was wine, not a Coke classic. Pointing to the joint that edged off the table. You have any plans on finishing that? Nah, I'm pretty stoned as it is. So was he, yet there was always the desire to smoke more, and it never did him any good. What he was experiencing was a comfortable high. He could still collect his thoughts rather than they collecting him, tying him up and dragging him into a forest of madness. Still, he reached for the joint to light it and inhale its smoke. What would follow would be a retreat to another room where the TV was. He'd attempt to watch whatever programming was selected, but then would overanalyze himself out of enjoyable TV viewing. The character's shirt was too green, or not green enough. What did the character's existence mean compared to his? Why this story? Why now? That sort of thing. And soon, he'd complain that he could no longer follow what was being viewed, or it was giving him a headache. Diana, always drinking her glass of wine like Mrs. Taylor from Friday Night Lights, saw all of this coming a mile away. This meant she now got to watch something she wanted to watch, programming where the plot lines were filled with women characters she could tolerate. In the back alley, she could hear the neighborhood kids laughing, as they always do during hours such as these. Behind them just happened to be the drug spot. From their back window, you could see an Uber driver deal drugs that he stashed underneath the hood of his car. Manny, not trying to be a nosy gentrifier, said nothing, but only addressed the group of boys with kindness and respect, even when they made him nervous. His reasoning being that it probably wasn't too often that these young black men were looked in the eyes and addressed properly, like unjudged humans. Each day for them was probably an aimless roam in a hateful world. Aware of this hate they were, but were too young to know the crippling extent of it. From Manny's back window, he often watched concerned because he knew how ill that hate actually was. Inside, he wept for them. It was a neighborhood in transition, like pretty much all existing things on Earth. Late in the night, you could hear the spooky sounds of wind guiding the shingles on the front porch or the unidentified crackles of the house. On the side of the house sat a pear tree, cultivated and loved by an older Korean man who lived there before Manny. Those Asian pears were so ripe and delicious. Manny realized that the tree wasn't just a plant, but an elderly man's monument to the homeland he grew up in. He planted that tree not to make a statement, but because he missed the ripened taste of home. He missed what he knew. Diana woke up early, as she normally did. Nothing is more intriguing than an early morning, right as you've been woken up from a deep slumber. It's as if you've arrived from some brief journey, and now you're back, checked and cleared for another several hours. Manny was snoring. When he slept on his back, he always snored. She tried her hardest to shove him over so she didn't have to listen to his annoyingly distinct snore, but when he moved, even slightly, like some possessed demon being tampered with, who would have zero recollection of the conversation once fully awake, his words would bloodily slice her desires of he simply rolling over. And for this, she left him alone. She thought of just slapping him in the face really hard and then running into the shower, because it simply would be the funny thing to do, but she restrained, gathered herself, and then climbed out of bed. Her wine glass was still on the floor, waiting for her. She did a quick glance to the left and to the right to make sure the gods approved and then drank the glass in its entirety. Then she threw on a pair of mesh shorts that read Springbrook lacrosse on them, shorts of an ex-boyfriend. She walked barefoot through the hallway, feeling slightly rebellious, even in her thirties, because growing up, her father used to ridicule she and her siblings for walking barefoot around the house. 
Every time they stubbed their toe, every time they stepped on something sharp and unpleasant, he reminded them that wearing slippers was the most efficient protector of feet. The house was particularly cold since Manny needed it to be Arctic temperature to fall asleep. As it, was, <laughs> it was as if he had fur underneath his skin. In the kitchen, she arrived to find it just how they left it, a fucking disaster. The sink was filled with way too many dishes for her liking, and the dishes were not properly rinsed. If anyone was to clean those dishes, it wouldn't be her, she thought. They'd have to wear rubber gloves. If not, Lord help them. The kitchen counter had crumbs all over it, breadcrumbs from their attempt at making gourmet sandwiches. She had two options at the moment. She could wipe the kitchen counter down and sweep, appeasing Manny's OCD, or she could go out back and sit on the porch to digest the beautiful morning. She did the latter. The air on the back porch was musk. The alley looked like a disaster, and so did their driveway. It was like someone took a jackhammer to it and then was like, I'm out. A friend of theirs said their alley reminded him of Haiti. Diana once saw a man pissing in the middle of the alley while facing the house. He saw her. She saw him. It was like no big deal to anyone. And she definitely saw his penis. She surveyed the porch as if she were actually going to do maintenance on it. There were all of these colorful two-by-fours that an artist friend Paul had left over there in one of his many unfinished artistic schemes. As she placed her forearms over the railing, she heard someone call out to her, Excuse me, miss! At the bottom of the driveway, where there was an emptied bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, the kids in the alley eat them, was a boy, looked about between 17 and 19, so still very much a boy. He had strawberry blonde hair, not something you found too often roaming through the alley. Nighttime for him may have been too real. He was in a white polo with gray khakis. She thought the kid was lost. She walked down to the steps of the deck as far as she was willing to go and said, Yes? He paused for a second. I hate to bother you, but did you happen to see a pack of Parliament light cigarettes lying around? Lying around where? Around. He said with a tone that suggested he fined his attitude into a nice powder and sprinkled it all over that statement. No, I haven't seen any Parliament light cigarettes, she said. She was ready to tell this kid to fuck off. He wore a wide smirk as he shrugged and said, Okay. The two of them just stood there. She looked at him and he looked at the ground. He was moving gravel around slowly with his shoes. Let me smell your hair, he said. This motherfucker has balls, Diana thought to herself. Um, it... Excuse me? No, you may not smell my hair. I'm sorry, but like, are you okay? Are you? I don't allow random strangers to just come and smell my hair. Calmly, he said, me? I'm completely fine. How are you doing? She was done. I'm sorry. I don't know you. I don't have time for this. You seem lost. I don't know how you got back here, but I'm going inside. Like, what the fuck? I'm sorry, but I have to go inside because this is just absurd. She slammed the screen door as she went inside, looked at this kid through the window, and locked everything. He eventually walked away.
17 seconds in, picture a man standing in front of a bathroom mirror, swaying so happily as he applies shaving cream to his face. Sherry, can you come out tonight? Come, come, come out tonight. Sherry, baby. Sherry, baby. Sherry. 48 seconds in, that man begins mouthing the words to the mirror. Why don't you come on? For lip syncing, he's killing it. One minute and four seconds in, picture him pointedly twirling his index finger in unison with the line. The above is how Manny, a black man, shaves every fucking morning. He walked out of the bathroom to find Diana staring at him wide-eyed. What's up? he asked. The strangest shit just happened to me outside, she said. What? Manny asked, concerned it was something worse, involving the drug dealers from the alley. This kid came up to me and started bothering about whether I'd seen a pack of Parliament cigarettes. Manny pauses, huh? She holds up her hands and shakes her head, mouth agape as she tries to get words out but can't even. Then finally, I don't even know what to say. Maybe there isn't anything to say. Is there some sort of resource for strange white kids approaching you, bothering you about lost cigarettes? Like, is there a center or an institution where these kids can go and bother the nurses there about their fictional lost cigarettes? Manny chuckled at the actual idea and its logistics. What if there were a place for people who couldn't find their cigarettes? Already, having moved on from Diana's encounter, Manny looked her up and down. So, like, what's your status? Like, when do you want me to drop you off at the metro? What time is it? It's a little after eight. Diana panics slightly, then gets into gear. And so the routine began. Turn on the Roku, locate Hulu and play an episode of Master Chef Junior, walk toward the bathroom to begin brushing teeth, mouthwash, spit, rinse, go to the next room and apply Korean face mask, Chuckle at the little kid from Master Chef Junior's youthful elegance. Locate makeup mirror. Apply slight makeup with knowledge and reassurance that you'll resume once in the car and route to the metro. Stare at the closet. Check iPhone for weather. Stare at closet. All the designer shit is like a crib. In my closet, got a crib. In my closet, got a crib. In my closet, man. All this fucking gear is like a crib. In my closet. Huh. Grab plaid skirt. Grab dress. Lay them on the couch. Stare at the couch. Dress it is. Begin removing underwear and t-shirt. Look brilliant. Ignore Manny's drooling. Apply chosen garb. Stand in front of the mirror. Add accessories. Necklace. Bracelet. Watch. Etc. Approach the shoe rack. Hands on hips. Reach for... Nope. Not those. Hand on shin. Finds shoes. Places shoes on feet. These boots are made for walking. And that's just what they'll do. One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you. TV off. It's time, she says. They both head down the stairs. As they walk down, Manny hears the screech of the front gate. He doesn't mention it because people were always walking through the yard to get to the alley. It was the only detached home on the block. Annoying, yes, but trust, there was nothing you could do about it. Diana walked back toward the kitchen to briefly light a small roach from the flame of the kitchen stove. She loved to smoke in the morning, slightly, and then ride the metro to work. Manny lost lighters like a motherfucker. Holding a roach up to the flame was her only option if she really needed that hit. The doorbell rings. Manny approaches the door. Diana stands back in the kitchen and goes to an adjacent room to smoke her roach. 
The front door and everything associated with it wasn't her deal, unless it be a delivery man at the door delivering some kind of Asian cuisine. She overhears the person at the door say, Excuse me, sir? Yes, Manny asks. I hate to be here on a Wednesday morning about to say unsavory things about what I assume to be your girlfriend or wife. Oh no, Diana thought. It's that damn kid. What's his deal anyway? Unsavory things? What? Look, man, the woman you live with. She did a dishonest thing. She stole a pack of cigarettes from me. It's fucked up if you ask me. What I'm saying is she's a fucked up person for doing that. What is this? Are you all some kind of theater troupe? Diana, confused, approaches the door. What she finds outside is the strawberry blonde on the porch with Manny leaning on the front door. And behind the kid, behind the gate on the sidewalk, were six other white kids, all on bikes, facing the house. Manny, never really regarding numbers like these, which has been an issue in situations of the past with men much larger, approaches the gate aggressively. Are you little fuck serious? Get the fuck out of here! I will actually call the cops, and I don't normally call the cops, but I will actually call the cops. One kid immediately hops off his bike, walks over to the gate, and does a karate chop to the gate. Splits the gate, the chain link fence gate. Manny stepped back. That's my friend Harvey, the strawberry blonde said, and you just made Harvey mad. Manny! Diana screams with urgency. Get in the house! Get in here! Manny finally turns around and walks in. She shuts the door and locks everything, and then she sprints upstairs. Manny is looking through the blinds, peeking at them. They're no longer in the yard, but they haven't disbanded. <laughs> They're a band of brothers, these kids. Manny hears reckless footsteps coming down the stairs. Diana unlocks the door, and he sees her sprint out, arm extended, holding a pistol. Get the fuck away from the house, you fucking freaks. Get out, she says, flexing her bottom jaw. One kid nodded at the others, and they all biked away. You know, you done fucked up, right? Said the strawberry blonde as he bikes away. You done fucked up real bad. She waves the pistol in the direction the kid should be going. They bike off. Poor Manny, looking from the blinds, who didn't even know that Diana had a gun, was speechless. Breathing heavily, she walked inside, shut the door, locked it. She then walked over to the bottom of the hardwood stairs and sat down. Manny is in the other room with his hands on his head, trying not to have a panic attack while digesting what just happened. Suddenly, he hears this tapping. Tap, tap, tap. He walks into the foyer hurriedly. He readied himself to look out the front door and find more evil white children after his wife, but no one was outside. He turns around to see Diana at the bottom of the steps, packing parliament lights she seems to be holding in her hand. She unwraps them, puts one of the cigarettes in her mouth, and then reaches into her bra to pull out a lighter. She lights the cigarette, screaming. He says, where the hell did you get those cigarettes, Diana? Did you actually have the cigarettes and refuse to give them back? After all of that, when did you steal their cigarettes? Blowing smoke out of her mouth. Chill. I found them last night in the alley when I took the trash out. You were asleep. With his head down, Manny exhaled deeply. 
head still down but using hand gestures wisely. Why didn't you just give them their cigarettes? Because fuck that kid. Ha! What you see, what you see, is what you get, is what you get. Madcap is produced by Daniel Bloom, David Ross, Afim Shapiro, and Drew Snadeke. Snadeke moves up in the world. Voiceover support is provided by the great Andy Duke coming from across the pond. And lastly, you gotta show some love to the interns, Elena Petalino and myself, Daphne Pellegrino. Till next time. Madcapdc.org on Facebook and Twitter at MadcapDC.